Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. It's Monday, October 1st. I'm Sophie Casas. For today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We want you to hear one of our favorite episodes of Broadly's new podcast, Queerly Beloved. It's a show about LGBTQ chosen family, and we think you'll really like it. So without further ado, here's episode three of Queerly Beloved, The Siblings. Welcome to Queerly Beloved a podcast from Broadly about the families we choose. I'm Sarah Burke. And I'm Fran Torado. So, Sarah, for this episode, you talked to Seth and Diana. Who are Seth and Diana? They are two siblings who are four years apart, And they grew up in a small town in western Massachusetts. And they both first came out as gay and then later came out as trans. It's so nice to have that shared experience with your sibling. Yeah, but also they had super different experiences coming out and figuring out their identities. I think in part because they have extremely different personalities. Diana is the younger sibling and she's kind of a diva. She's quick to express who she is and to make the world just deal with it. But Seth, on the other hand, is introverted and thoughtful and more reserved. So even though they grew up within the same family, their experiences of figuring out who they are were actually opposite in a lot of ways. That's the thing I love about this story is it it illustrates that there's not just one way to be trans. Yeah, absolutely. And it defies our assumptions about queerness and queer family in a lot of ways, I think, especially because throughout their lives, their family has supported them wholeheartedly the whole time through all their coming outs. And so it's not at all this traditional narrative of a queer person comes out and gets rejected by their family and then has to go out and find a queer chosen family. Yeah, we talk a lot about chosen family, but these two were biological siblings. So it adds a whole new dimension to what that concept could actually be. Yes, exactly. But even though they've been together for their whole lives, they've never fully sat down and reflected on how they've influenced each other's queerness and transness. So we invited them to do that. When did you first learn about gay existence? I mean, it was really far removed. You know, there wasn't anybody who was gay and out in my school when I was growing up. I mean, I don't remember knowing anything about even gay culture. I don't think I felt particularly bad about it until I like realized that other people were making fun of me or, or treating me differently. I think in a lot of ways I was expressing my true self or my true gender. My name is Diana Torche. I'm 29 years old. I'm a trans woman and a journalist. I live in New York City. Now your turn, Seth. <laughs> 
My name's Seth Torget. I'm 33 years old. I am queer and trans non-binary, and I live in Providence, Rhode Island. Gender and sexuality become so much more complicated once you get to adolescence and you're dealing with puberty and high school and things like that. How did your understanding of your identity start to shift around that time? I mean, for me, it was like getting hit with a sack of bricks. I didn't really anticipate it to suddenly become so socially ostracized around this thing that I had no control over. And I didn't know what it meant, but that seemed so obvious to everyone else, which was just that I was really feminine and that it was not normal for me because I was male. As soon as middle school began, I lost all of my male friends and I retained a few of my female friends. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I think it was actually really similar for me. As a little kid in elementary school, most of my friends were boys, my really close friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think once I got to middle school, almost immediately, I kind of didn't have those friends anymore. So yeah, middle school, similarly to Diana, was like, pretty abysmal, I would say. I mean, maybe everybody shares that experience. I think everyone does experience that in middle school. But like, when you are gender nonconforming and trying to fit in and trying to avoid being bullied, like the looks get messy. You know, Seth had a blue braid in (laughs) their hair. (laughs) My attempts at passing as a normal boy were like buying the skin tight rib knit orange sweater from old navy that was like a muscle shirt that looked so feminine on me or wearing a full tuxedo or something you know? that was like elementary school i'm talking about <laughs> middle school oh okay right 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 yeah middle school that was like the point where i started to realize like oh like i'm getting bullied for the way that i appear or whatever and i need to change you know I wanted to fit in more so I started trying to appear more feminine and I grew my hair as Diana like kindly remembers but it didn't help you know that's what I realized it didn't help and if anything people could tell that I was trying or something you know I don't know right like like, it makes it worse when you try because they can see that you're a failure yeah And so in the middle of all this, Diana, you actually came out as gay when you were quite young. How old were you? Yeah, I mean, 11, 12. I I don't remember exactly the age. I just remember that I was very young. It wasn't something that I did publicly because I was still telling kids who confronted me in the hallway every day at school asking me if I was gay. I still always told them no. But I knew that I was, at least at that time, the language that I had to understand my identity was gay. And so there came a point where I personally accepted it. What I did was I told our other brother, who didn't believe me at first, God bless him, and he, like, asked me who I thought was hot to try and prove it. Like, well, who's hot then? I was like, Brad Pitt. And he was like, that's an obvious answer. And I was like, he is hot. But eventually I convinced him that I was gay, and he didn't care. Um, (laughs) But I, for some reason, was nervous to tell you, Seth, that I was gay. And I didn't 
actually directly tell Seth. I told a mutual friend of ours on AIM, oh, AOL that's Instant right. Messenger. That's right. He promised not to tell me and then instantly told me, right, right? Yeah, so you confronted me and you were actually angry at me for not telling you directly. Really? You, you were annoyed. Oh. It didn't last long. But I remember you being like, why wouldn't you just tell me? And I think in retrospect, I could come up with all kinds of reasons why maybe I didn't tell you. But the truth is, I just don't really know. And it probably had to do more with our age difference at that time than anything. Seth, how did it feel for Diana, you know, who's four years younger than you, to be the person to come out first? Like, our relationship's interesting because I'm the older sibling. But then there was also this switch dynamic of Diana kind of, like, paving the road for me in different ways of, like, coming out as gay when she was 11 and then coming out as trans later, but still before I had, like, figured that out about myself. So... I know that she's made that easier for me and she's made that something I could think about more directly. And it was great. It was great for me that she did that. And I like admire her the way that she has always been so like fearless about those things. She has always sort of come to those conclusions about herself a lot sooner than me. You know, we're kind of like, well, she's an Aries and I'm a Libra. So there's certain stereotypical traits there where it's like, could take me like 20 years to make a decision about something. Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, it was like, it, it it started that conversation between us, but it started it in our family too. Were you, were you ever like nervous about how I or other members of the family would react? Didn't it feel brave at the time to come out or anything like that because it felt like people had made me do it? And so I didn't have a choice not to. Like, if I could have hidden, I would. And I tried and failed. And my failure forced me out of the closet. And what was it like as you got older? Our teen years were so, like, difficult for both of us in different ways, you know? I feel like we were kind of disconnected. Yeah, I wasn't really talking to anyone. Yeah. (laughs) I was pretty much just biding my time till I could drop out of high school and very unhappy. Do you remember when Seth came out and if that changed how close you two were or how alone you felt? I remember we were in town and I was sitting on a bench and I think you were just like, I have something to tell you. And I was like, duh. (laughs) So obvious. (laughs) Yeah, that was the reaction of basically everybody that I told. (laughs) I mean, and it was cool for me to have an LGBT sibling like actually out and talking about it you coming out definitely I think strengthened an already pretty solid relationship and maybe even gave some more context for why we were kindred spirits mm-hmm. you know because we were both gender non-conforming but had never really talked about that and you yeah. know this was, this was a pretty clear thing that united us. I think a lot of queer people feel like they have secret lives or like double lives sometimes where they have 
their life where they live as their most authentic version of themselves and then they have the person that they present in front of their family. Did you feel like after Seth came out, you were able to kind of merge those things in new ways or share new sides of yourselves with each other? No, because I was a Nelly queen since I was 12. <laughs> like, I was where my dad went to the movie theater with me for Christmas. I was like 13 years old wearing knee-high patent leather boots from Payless and a floor-length coyote fur coat with a top hat. <laughs> like, he accepted me when I was the biggest freak in the world. And, like, I just didn't give a shit. So when you came out as gay, it didn't make me feel like I can be more me now. Because you already knew who I was. But I don't know if for you, maybe, it was different. I mean, I think first and, like, biggest for me was that I could be more open with myself. Like, you know, I didn't always know that I was gay. You know, I was always like telling people I wasn't, you know, that's just the weird thing about people telling you what you are from a young age is like you spend most of your energy telling them like, no, that's not true. But like, you don't get a lot of space to kind of like decide what is true. When I came out as gay, you know, that was like an opening and that was like something that opened up some part of me that I was like not allowing. And that felt really wonderful. I'm sure it meant that I could be more myself with the family too. But I, I didn't feel that as directly. It was more like something personal for me. I think it's like really cliche, but for a reason because it's true about like pride you know I mean there's this thing that you're so ashamed of and if you can get to a point in your life or in your community or your family where you can accept it and find pride in something that you've been taught by society to be ashamed of it's got a profound impact on your whole life basically you know you came out as gay and then we were both gay and um, and it was several years later that um, the transgender awakening occurred. <laughs> the transgender awakening, yes. When I came out as trans, I started remembering a lot of my childhood that I'd forgotten. And I don't think prior to adolescence, I had any feeling around gender because I looked like a little androgynous elf, <laughs> um, like most kids do. <laughs> um, I didn't hate my body. It was only at, once puberty hit and like my body started changing that I remember feeling depressed I didn't know that you could change your gender or that gender was anything other than a biological prescription gay guys who I knew at my school were like you look like a girl and then straight guys were like you're a boy so I really felt like well this will be a life of loneliness and isolation if I'm my if I'm my true self 
I went through my parents' drawers and found my birth certificate to try and see if there was some mistake made on it to see if perhaps I was born intersex. And if I was, then maybe something could be done to change my fate. I wouldn't have to live a male life. And when I determined I wasn't intersex, I gave up and resolved to live my life as masculine a boy as I could be, and then spent the next, essentially, decade trying to do that. Finally, when I was 23, I saw a photograph of Mia Isabella, a trans porn star, and I was mesmerized by her body, not even in a sexual way, but in an existential way this beautiful woman with a penis. And I think what it did to me was show me an image of a kind of body that exists in the world. And it changed everything that I knew about the possibilities of sex and gender. And when I heard the word transgender, it immediately fell like dominoes in my life, everything falling backwards to the point where I realized like all those unanswered questions make sense now. I'm trans. When I was a little kid, you know, I would ask like my parents or my aunt or grandmother, you know, when am I going to be a boy? Like I would ask them that often and they would say, well, you're not, you know. So even as a little kid, like, you know, I was thinking about gender and like feeling I wanted my gender to be something different. One of the things that I thought about a lot when I was trying to figure out, you know, what is my gender, what do I want it to be, which wasn't really until I was in my 20s, was I, like, thought about the ways that, you know, when I would use a women's room, it was just, like, I would notice people, like, pause and, like, kind of look at me. It would be sort of like somebody's asking me my gender, you know, whether that's verbal or they're just, like, looking at me in this way. And I didn't have a good answer, you know, it was like, they would be like, oh, you're, you know, you're, this is the women's room. And like, my response to that could be, well, I'm a woman. But actually, that never felt like something I wanted to say. You know, and it would be this thing for me of being like, well, why don't I know what to say in those situations? Eventually, I realized, well, the reason I don't know what to say in that situation is because the answer that they're looking for is not one that feels correct to me. And I talked to Diana about that eventually, you know, when I was starting to think more about my own gender and just like the insufficiency of those of those labels for me, you know, I always felt like I was something in between. To Diana's like deep frustration, it like takes me a very long time to make big decisions or figure things out. They took, like, years. I was like, come on, hurry up. The second I figured out that I was trans, I acted on it immediately. I mean, I immediately did all the social media things I needed to do to alert the world to my new identity. But I also called my family, like, that day and told them that I'm transgender and I'm going to go on hormone replacement therapy and you can call me a woman from now on. I came out to Seth and... I proceeded to figure out exactly what I wanted my transition to look like. But I knew for me that the immediate just meant allowing myself to dress and look the way that I wanted to and to to let go, to finally let go of this thing I never wanted, which was manhood. 
because I always felt like I was insufficient and failing at being a man in some way or another. And to be able to say, actually, I am completely (laughs) a failure at being a man, so much so that I'm a woman. And that is considered to be a binary transgender experience, you know, transitioning from male to female. And that is something I deeply identify with. But I think I identify more with the experience of being a male to female transgender person than I necessarily do with, you know, the term woman as a sort of singular idea. But Seth, (laughs) your experience is a little different One time Diana called me a genderless energy field, and that felt really poignant. The way that I transitioned was not extreme. You know, it was pretty subtle. My physical appearance hasn't changed much. I've kind of always looked the way that I look. And then I didn't want to, like, have an extreme physical change either. So, like, when I came out as gay, it was more internal. It was more about, like, what I was allowing myself to be and to, like, um, allow myself to say that to other people. That, that Yeah, I just feel not like non-binary really captures what, you know, my experience is. And so it was, like, allowing that to be something that was okay. Talking to Diana about that was helpful because, you know, she transitioned in a different way than I did. But also, I think we think about gender in similar ways and we had conversations about it. And that was like really helpful to me in like articulating what I was feeling. For me, I really wanted you to know that you didn't have to be fully a binary trans person in order to allow yourself to identify as trans because I was worried that you might feel like because I'd been trans and was really going through this more classical approach to body transformation I was concerned that you might feel like you weren't able to tell me that you felt like maybe you were trans because maybe that would offend me or something and I don't know how much of that you felt but I I remember being aware of that and wanting to make sure you felt safe mm-hmm. and open enough to be able to explore that without thinking you were going to tread on my my heels. Yeah, yeah, that definitely made a big impact on me. I also love the idea that you are like a classical model here. I like that. <laughs> Diana, classical transsexual classic. type A. <laughs> my physical experience was always a little bit fraught and it was hard for me to like have the space to kind of like think about decisions about what I wanted to be or what I was and Diana really helped me make a space for that and like she really made that space for me of like you know she inspired me by by you know really loudly proclaiming all the time like that like here this is what I am and like that was like a way different approach than what I would have but I also really admire it and like I feel giving me that nudge was really important. Do you remember what that conversation actually sounded like? I don't know, Seth, maybe you can correct me, but I think it was more just coming out of conversations around gender and maybe even me asking if you feel like you identify as trans. I don't remember exactly what she said, but basically like... I said, choose a side (laughs) or get off the playing field. I can kind of get obsessed about something and worrying and being like, I don't know, I don't know, and just like fretting over it. And Diana will be like, listen, like, it doesn't really matter very much. And not in like a dismissive way, but in a way that I think is real, where it's like, well, you know, 
it's not like you're going to make the wrong decision. You just exist and like, there's not a, like right or wrong way to do it. Listen, my name was Dragonfire <laughs> for two months with Y. I remember that. Two remember Y's. That. Yeah. So if my name could be Dragonfire with two Y's for two months, you can do anything. <laughs> It's incredible to see somebody change over so many years, you know, siblings. I feel like a lot of times that could be your longest relationship of your life. Especially when you think in retrospect, like when you really look at each other today and then think about who you were when you were young and what you thought about yourselves then. That's, you know, that perspective. Yeah, and the ways you wouldn't have, like, imagined the way we would end up you know who knew that this would happen <laughs> definitely well i'm grateful to have you as my sibling <laughs> me too queerly beloved is a production of vice media and broadly if you're liking the show Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen. And please leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. This podcast was produced by Sophie Cases. Production assistance was by Dan Richards. And our theme music is by Tyler McCulley. But before you go, we want to share one last thing with you. We reached out to our Broadly readers for your stories about chosen family and queer icons. And we got some really amazing responses. If you want to leave us your story about chosen family call our inbox at 707-412-8388 and your voicemail could be featured on Queerly Beloved. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Queerly Beloved. My name is Gus, and when I think of queer and chosen family, I think of my time in an LGBT youth housing program for homeless youth. I was there for a year and a half during the full two years that I was homeless after leaving my home due to transphobic violence from my mother. I entered that housing program very shortly after an abusive episode from my mother almost ended my life, and I felt very, very lost. I had always had a very fractured and confusing relationship with adults some very positive and most very harmful. But what I found in the housing program was just a group of people who cared so much and supported us unconditionally. I have a lot of really beautiful memories of hanging out in the staff office of our little housing program, staying up late nights with the night staff, grocery shopping at Walmart down the street and sharing music recommendations with the two night staff, both of whom I still love and am in contact with. In the day, case managers, two young queer people who were not paid nearly enough for the many, many long hours they stayed at the program after they should have gone home. They were not out at bars with their friends. They were there settling petty disputes between people in the housing program, comforting us after a job loss and encouraging us to get back out there and keep trying. I can't ever express to any of them how grateful I am and how they completely turned my life around when I felt more lost and floating than I ever had. I hope that they know that 
they were incredibly influential in my life, and, and I hope that I was as much of a positive influence as they were. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.